Hey everyone, how's it going? Hey everyone, and welcome to the next episode of Playing Karate in the Garage. So, what are we going to be talking about today? I actually had uh, someone ask me about injuries and knee injuries. And, All right. Yeah, yeah, just ways that you can minimize minimize things like that. And of course, you'll never be perfect, hundred percent. But at least there are things that you can do to reduce maybe the what do you call it the risk and the severity of sustaining any of a well i'm going to focus on knee injuries because that's sort of my personal experience i thought why not well definitely yeah. like um that's something that you know that i've gone through as well um, more than a couple of times where you know i've had my own knee injuries and so in order of prevention what have you done that you have found that has worked for you Okay, so we'll go through a little list here. First time I sustained a knee injury was when I used to run a lot. So this is me, imagine a teenager, and I'm running every day, somewhere between 5 to 12 Ks, sometimes even 15. It was more of a meditation for me, and that constant paving or that, that pounding on the pavement is what did it for me. Even running on grass was an issue. So I go to my, my GP and uh, he gets me a prescription for a physio and I go and check it out and the first thing they say to me is what shoes are you wearing and of course at the time I didn't know I had these cheap sneakers so my step one is check your shoes my personal recommendation is get fitted go to a um what do you call it those those places they they manage they uh, measure your stride okay Locker, yeah, or... no, not full locker. They're a place like athlete's foot, athlete's foot, okay. yeah. So they'll measure your pressure that you put on the plate as you're walking along and they can tell you whether you roll in or out. So I would say just go to those places once, otherwise, you'll end up spending way too much in your shoes. But get a decent pair, like invest if you invest in good runners or good cross trainers, whatever you're, you're training for. Well, a few hundred dollars here prevents thousands later on down the track so that's number one for me all right number two muscle reinforcement so you have obviously stabilizing muscles and supporting muscles and they all help to enhance the integrity of your joints now you'll never have strong knees if well let's say you'll never be able to do a squat if you never do a squat mm -hmm. And this is the point that I make. In Southeast Asia, everyone's in a squatting position, playing cards, having noodles. They're always squatting. And you'll see a, you know, a little 80-year-old lady who's cooking over a stove squatting. And she's got great knees. And then you'll have a Westerner who's mid-twenties in pain. So my recommendation there is get your, even bodyweight squats, get that squat, get that range of motion happening. Get used to using your legs and using all those stabilizing and supporting muscles. Now, it's never too late to start. Bear in mind, though, your limitations because you don't want to go 100% when you already have an injury. Let it heal. <laughs> Let those injuries heal. And even if you don't have an injury but you're not active, take it easy. Keep it, keep it smart, keep it safe, and gradually increase the integrity of your joints through strength training. That's number two. <laughs> okay number three <clears throat> nutrition this is a big 
big deal. If you're eating crap food, crap with no nutrients, you've got nothing to help your joints. So my little rule of thumb is vitamin D is for your bones. Calcium, of course, is for your bones. Don't get your calcium from milk. It's a waste of time. Get it from spinach, sesame seeds. If you eat seafood, you've got salmon as a good source. Um, I don't recommend it for milk. That's There's a lot of science into it. I won't get into it, but don't waste your time. And for muscles, magnesium. So you want to enhance those muscles. You want to strengthen those bones. You want to make sure the entire joint has, or you have nutrients to feed. There's a lot of other sort of um, vitamins and minerals you can go through. You can even take, if you have inflammation, you can take turmeric and all that sort of stuff. But stick with the main two, vitamin C, sorry, what am I saying here? Vitamin D and magnesium. Actually, vitamin C is beneficial too. So vitamin C is a powerful antioxidant that helps for inflammation. But um, get your nutrition right, and believe it or not, that will help your joints. All right, so post-inflammation, number four. So let's say you've got an injury. I'm a big believer of heat treatment. And oh, Why is mm. that? Because normally you always get the... The rice advice? Yeah, rice. Uh, Ricer now. Rice, Before yeah. it used to be rice, now it's rice. So um, they are always telling you about reducing the swelling using ice. Mm. And then using um, other, you know, sort of creams or stuff that would have the same effect as ice the to cool effects. it down, to get the cooling effect, to reduce the inflammation. But over the last few years, there's been a lot of more research done that you should be doing the opposite. Yes. So, that whole riser technique where you use ice, I'm sure, let's say you have an immediate injury, you've sprained your ankle and you're in agony, the, the ice will numb the pain. Okay, and I don't dispute that. So, if you have to use it, use it. That's fair enough. That's always the, the first aid treatment that's always recommended. There's a reason that's recommended and it's a more of a anesthetic effect. When it comes to healing, why would you want to slow down the the rate of your body's self-healing process so think about this this is what i've always told everyone now a chemical reaction with all these different molecules if you have a any sort of mixture and you heat that mixture those atoms and those molecules will travel at a faster rate this is this is basic high school chemistry we've all learned this they're going to start moving at a much faster rate when you slow down you slow down the rate of those molecules and of course, as we all know from high school chemistry, absolute zero is when those molecules stop and no one's ever been able to reach absolute zero. Mm-hmm. So when you, the way that I see it is your body has its own healing process. Now that's caused by inflammation. Inflammation isn't always bad. Inflammation helps, basically it gives your, your body signals. All right, so you have a site, you, you have a cut, there's inflammation. You're going to have all these these platelets into that cut you're going to have all these antibodies traveling to that cut to prevent microbe infection or invasion so the inflammation serves a purpose but also the inflammation is hot so the reaction can occur at a faster rate than your body's natural temperature which makes sense so my method of healing if you have to do the riser do the riser but i've had a i sustained an injury recently and what i've done is i've used lots of heat creams and I've 
put lather on the heat creams. I've wrapped it up and I've left it overnight. Now, using heat treatment and stuff mm. like that, that's more of an Eastern medicine sort of yes. thing, right? So, traditional Chinese medicine follows the idea that heating injuries and, and issues is what will help it to heal. So, Chinese medicine has this big thing against cold because cold is, is what causes you to get sick. And, you know, once upon a time, I'll probably take this as woo-woo science. There's nothing really serious. But from my own experience, hey, it's worked for me. <laughs> the heating's worked because you take it on a, on a chemical level. Well, you know what? I'm increasing the rate of the interaction of these these atoms, basically causing these antibodies to, to work at a faster rate, the chemical exchange. And as a result, my healing is, is sped up. So that's what I'm trying to do. Um, yeah, and that's my little trick. Now, um, one thing that I like to do uh, with my own injuries, especially knee injuries, is strapping them real tight. Mm-hmm. Strapping them real tight, and that seems to work for me. Have you ever tried that? I have tried strapping, and I haven't, I haven't had as much success. It's, it does work when it comes to being aware of the injury itself and a bit of reinforcement, but I find that doing this too much, it tends to weaken my, well, weaken the stability of my joints over time because I get too used to having, having like, having like that. I mean, the extra support. Yeah, it was, there was a time I was wearing skins, like compression gear for, um, what was it for? For running. And then I got so used to wearing it. So then, you know, one day I go to the gym and I decide to, to run and I'm not wearing my compressions and all of a sudden I'm just I'm freaking out going I can't do this my knees are gonna explode which didn't happen in the end but it was just that idea of needing that support when your body already has a process to keep everything in place so it's um it serves its purpose yeah, I think if you if you're healing if you need reinforcement go for it but be aware that having that extra support is going to take away from your own ability to stabilize. It'd be like weight belts. See, I don't believe in using weight belts. Maybe if you're doing massive Olympic lifts here and there and you're going for a PB and you weren't really sure, I'll say, yeah, okay. If you're not sure, you don't want to pull your back, any back muscles. But then if you're using, I've seen guys who will deadlift and who'll deadlift less than I do. And, they'll use and they're a, wearing a belt. Yeah, they're wearing a belt. And I'm thinking, seriously, really? Is it just so you can look cool? <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah, I think if you're a beginner, you should really focus on uh, strengthening your stabilizing muscles, your lower back, your abdominals, so that you can build up that, that, uh, that functional strength and that sort of base before you, you start doing any heavy lifts. Like you deadlift, start with like a freaking broomstick if you yeah, have to. Yeah, you know? exactly. But you know, build it up gradually. Because a belt, like you said, gives you some sort of a false sense of security. And at the same time, it prevents your body from doing its natural job, which is sort of stabilizing you. Oh, yeah. And keeping sure. all of your core nice and tight. Mm. Yeah. Mm. My two cents. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm glad you agree. <laughs> so, what else has been going on? We're going to talk about mindset and. Um, geez, we've, we have all these ideas to talk about, and then. When it comes to recording, we're both kind of brain dead, aren't we? <laughs> no, there was something exciting that just happened last night. There was the Ultimate Cage Warriors down at Club Punchbowl, UCW. So for our, our Sydney listeners, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Bear, bear in mind, we've got people listening from around the world. Yeah, so it was going to be um, a cage fighting show. It's a new promotion, a new show called Ultimate Cage Warriors, UCW. And there was someone from um, from this uh, podcast that was going to be fighting there. It was going to be taking place, but they, but the fight didn't come through. So that was just something that I just wanted to discuss about what is the what is sort of you know the correct time for a fight prep for a fight camp what is ideal like you always see some fighters they prepare anywhere from between six to eight weeks some other guys even you know 10 and 12 weeks what have you found that has been ideal i you know it's difficult because you never feel ready but then eight to ten weeks is great if you're going into a competition it isn't just about Obviously, you want to increase your fitness, increase upskill, but you also want to be in that right frame of mind. And yeah, so unfortunately, someone from this podcast misunderstood the dates <laughs> and thought that she had six weeks to prepare. Yeah, oh, well, had to, only had yeah, exactly. Six to eight weeks to prepare, and had it in, in the end had two weeks, which yeah, wasn't going to work. And this is another thing. I mean. When I ended up saying no, I was, I felt really guilty and I felt really gutted because I thought, oh, shit, I've already agreed to this thing and now I've got to say no to it. I feel like such a fucking coward. And, but then bearing in mind, you know, here I'm thinking, oh, I have, I have a good two months to get ready and it ended up being two weeks. And so the other side of me just says, look, don't be, don't be an idiot. (laughs) Use, use your brain. You haven't even been training much to begin with so two weeks to go in there and be a punching bag is not exactly the um intellectual thing to do (laughs) yeah exactly but also it's that frame of mind there's no way that i'd be in that right frame of mind to to be in any sort of competition regardless of whether you're fighting whether you're playing soccer whether you're going in any sort of no, you're going into a chess competition. Well, regardless of whatever competition you choose to, to participate in, you have to prepare. You have to get ready. And it's, you know, it's this idea that I find these days people think have a bit of a blase attitude. And they think, oh, it's okay. They'll be right. It doesn't work that way. And it sort of goes to, if you take it out of the competition context, even in in general life goals, goals in fitness, goals in health, you know how I say it, you'll never achieve something, you'll never get to that that end result unless you're in that right frame of mind. So, okay, in my in my case, I want to compete. But let's say if you are training for your health and you need to lose X amount of kilos to be healthy. Unless you have this this honest desire to lose that weight, it doesn't mean just saying it, oh, yeah, I'm gonna, I need to lose 10 kilos. No, but actually making it a really important sort of priority in your mind, you'll never you'll never get there. You'll never yeah, get that right. I think yeah, yeah. the mental game is very important. Oh, yeah, it's, now, it's huge. Last weekend we had a chance to do some uh, to do some small group training with uh, Karen Olympian. It was in uh, Carissa Holland and... Uh, who's a member of the national wrestling team who just came back from the Commonwealth Games in Scotland. Now, 
something that really you know, amazed me was the amount of weight that wrestlers can cut out in a, in a period of a week. That's right. I was, to, to I be was competition quite, ready. Yeah. Like, you know, when she was telling me that she walked, that she lost, I think it was 7 or 10 kilos, it was that in a week? Yeah, it was. Or a little bit of a week. Yeah. I was like, wow, like, you know, how do you do that? <laughs> Where does it come from? <laughs> exactly. But then, you know, you just, you know, think about how hard those guys train and the strategies that they use. Mm. And I think that a lot of them, they are highly effective and efficient. Oh, but they need to be amazing. monitored closely. Yeah, I do want to give a, a shout out to Carissa as well, considering the <clears> fact <throat> that it's very rare, you know, women in martial arts are a rarity to begin with. But someone who can compete at a high level, not just that, but also also teach at a very high level is is almost non-existent. And just to um it was interesting seeing that sort of perspective in her her methods of teaching and something that I related to. Obviously I related to, but she was able to get through to everyone there. But you know, it was nice to see that happening and it'd be nice to see more of it. You know, just to have someone who, the whole idea of being given a chance and not being, you know, looked at differently because of your gender or your size or whatever it is, I think it, it goes through to, to every field. Yeah, and, and uh, right now, you know, she's trying to get wrestling back on the map mm. as a sport. So if any of our listeners, if you have kids, nephews, neighbors, friends, whichever, <laughs> get them involved in wrestling. There's no better base as in a martial art that will oh, yeah. prepare you more than wrestling. It goes both mentally, physically. Every time that you're wrestling, you're working every single muscle of, of your body. You're oh, working definitely. it out. It's a great workout, great for strength, great for meeting friends. So I think you know, definitely get out there. If you have kids, yeah, get, get them doing it. It builds up the confidence. This is what I want to ask you about. What do you think of martial arts as a form of, let's say if you have children who are, how do I say this? Brats? And they need they need discipline. I know a lot of parents will bring troubled children to let's say they'll sign them up for Taekwondo or karate and expect them expect the, the instructor to be able to instill this form of discipline. What's your opinion on that? I think there has to be a bit of a fifty fifty. Like, you know, it cannot be all up to the instructor or up to the martial arts style, but it needs to be Sort of a combination of how they are being treated and sort of brought up at home, mm. and then what they're learning in the dojo. There has yeah, to be a fine balance. It just seems to be this. People see it as like a cure-all. You know, they they don't discipline their children at home, and they bring them over to the, the to a gym, a dojo, expecting this person to to work miracles. And I'm seeing and, more. And of that's it what now. I mean. Like you know, there can be a lot of you know good learnings, good teachings that a kid can be picking up at the at the dojo. Hmm. But then, if they are not reinforced at home, what's going to happen? Like you know, you being a personal trainer, it will become it's you know similar to the case when you have a client for forty five minutes to an hour. Hmm. During that hour, they're giving you their best. They're really training. They're really you know following your advice. They're really doing what you're telling them to do. The next 23 hours after the workout, they haven't got you there when they're going to be eating, when they're going to be drinking, when they're going to be resting. <laughs> yeah. So it becomes very hard. So when the they're going to be thing. smoking. Exactly. So the same thing, you know, with a martial arts instructor, he can be teaching them for that one hour a lot of good things, but it doesn't have to stop at the dojo. It has to continue. Yeah. That's why, you know, 
many people consider martial arts as not being a destination, but rather a journey in a vehicle of, you know, making you better. But uh, I think that it has to extend. I guess the last thing you want yeah. is if, you're, if your child is prone to violence, you don't want to teach them how to punch. <laughs> if you have a brat of a kid that you can't control as it is, you don't want to give them the means to hit you back. Yes. So, yeah. So, I think uh, it might be a good skill for mums to learn. <laughs> <laughs> learn how to, uh, to discipline your child <laughs> and make them fear you. I know I'm getting controversial here, but whatever. I just think, you know what? <laughs> some kids just, yeah. Yeah, some of those ones I see in the supermarkets. <laughs> that they would just lie down on the floor with their hands on the pockets, no moving and going anywhere. They want that ice cream. So yeah, that's, um, what else are we going to talk about today? Oh, mooncake. Oh, that delicious yeah. oh, mooncake that I had. <laughs> now, when, when, does, uh, when did moon festival start? I think it was just for this weekend. Okay, so it's only over one week that they have moon festival. I guess so. Yeah, it's okay. meant to be the celebration of the new moon. Okay, and I really enjoyed the you know, mooncake. It was pretty it good. Was great. Oh, I was very impressed by the moon festival that they had at Cabramata. There was a lot of stalls, a lot of people, a lot of food, which I really enjoyed. Oh, it went off. <laughs> it went yeah, off. It was good. And it was, um, hey, guess what? We were able to enjoy the entire day. Okay, take away the mooncake. There's no gluten in anything we had. Yeah. We had sweet jellies, we had meat on a stick, we had beef jerky. There was a lot of options that were all good. And I think if you are sort of, you know, a little bit patient and you really look around, you can find other options that don't include gluten, if you're trying to stay away from you gluten. You don't even need to be patient. It's just right there. The coconut jelly was right there. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> it yeah, but, yeah, but I think you don't always have that luxury. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's more if it's on your radar or not. If it's, if you sort of, um, you know, it's a bit like cake. Let's say, for instance, if you have been vegetarian all your life, meat is just not an option. Not not saying that I'm a vegetarian, but if meat is not an option for you, you know, you know what you can eat. And the things that you can't eat are just not food to you. So that makes it so much easier. If it's not food, so for instance, there's certain things that I don't eat. Now, I don't, for me, if I see them, it's not food. So I don't, you know, as you know, I don't eat pork. It's not food. And that's a really easy way to avoid it because I go to a restaurant and it's like, well, this isn't food to me, so I can't eat it, so I've got to go somewhere else. And now I'm starting to deal with gluten. It's it's not food. So it's a it's a pizza. Well, it's not food to me, and I'll I'll have to eat something else. It's not um if you sort of have in your mind, oh, I'm not allowed to eat that. Like I can't do that. It's so bad. This this food, this wondrous food, is forbidden to me. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna cave in a second, but if you consider it as just it's just not food, you think of it as the same level as a piece of cardboard. You know, it's just not food. You just, you don't eat that shit. It's a lot. It's just a different mindset, and you know it will take a while to get used to. But sometimes you can just snap into it. For, I mean, gluten I just snapped into. It wasn't a big deal. Just not food. And yeah. There you go, little tricks, little little mind tricks. But we still enjoyed. I mean, okay, sugar is a different thing, and I feel I've got to stop justifying my. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to stop justifying sugar cravings. But it was great. It's just nice to have um to see that how many cultures have a variety of of foods that you know what they taste amazing and they're very simple. 
And so I think this is sort of what we're going back to, just having simple foods. So you don't need carrageenan and, and freaking modified yeast extract, which is also MSG. You don't need that shit. Like, the coconut jelly we had today was, was what, coconut cream, coconut pieces, coconut water, and egger egger. That was it. That was all that was in there. And yeah, it's amazing. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just simple. Mm-hmm. So I think what we need to encourage people to do, or at least do ourselves, is rather than looking at those little nutritional labels with the, um, you know, you have X amount of kilojoules and X amount of calories, and this is your fiber content, and this is your, your sugar content, have a look at the actual ingredients list and see what's in there. If you can't recognize certain things, if they're not, if they're not simple ingredients, then maybe you might want to forego that. You see things like titanium dioxide, <laughs> you know, things that just don't sound too good. Um, anything, oh, was it a brominated vegetable? Sell the, stay the hell away from that shit. That's going to kill you. It's, humans aren't meant to eat it. And it's funny because, um, you've got this cute little chihuahua and she's adorable, but. Oh, bonita. Yeah, she's adorable. <laughs> but the thing is, you know, when you go to feed her, you're so careful with what you feed her because, oh, no, no, dogs can't eat that. No, dogs can't have this. Dogs can't have that. And I go, wow. So you're really careful to what you feed. And she's picky as well, but you're really careful to feed her only food that she can eat. Oh, no, no, she can't eat garlic because dogs are not meant to eat garlic. And I go, far out. But then what do you put into your own body? <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing. People are, people are so, like, when it comes to their pets, they make sure, you know, their pet has, oh, it needs organ meats. It's a bit, it's a bit, you know, deficient in organ meats. We need to up its nutrients. Or it has to only have the right sort of organ meats. It has to be fresh, you know, or it has to be this, this type of, type of food that's specifically for dogs or cats. And then for you, you'll open a, a packet of, of chips that has brominated vegetable oil, something that's been like passed through a centrifuge and then you've had chemicals added to it, then, you know, deep fried and then presented to you in a, in a cute packet. It's amazing. And you go, no, I wouldn't feed my dog that. I'll make my dog unhealthy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, dude. <laughs> so, yeah, that's sort of my, what I've noticed lately with people and their pets and, and the fact that they neglect their own, they neglect their own food. And, you know, we see things as food that we're not meant to have. And I'm, I'm big on this because, you know, especially... The older you get, the and your parents, they might have conditions, and you go, you know what? I have a, I may have a genetic predisposition to, to developing this. You want to avoid that, and you want to start on base levels. Your nutrition determines everything. So it's it's interesting to see. Keep in mind, when it comes to nutrition, it's definitely not a one size fits all, and this is a problem with all these diets that are out there right now. Some will work for some. Some will cause adverse reactions and you know you sort of figure out what your nutritional needs are if you don't know get a blood test yeah i think that would be the safest way to know however they like you know doctors are not always willing to give you a blood test for what you're after that's right we had a conversation about this about doctors and why i don't like doctors very much and how the majority of doctors out there are only doctors because their parents push them into it and so they don't really have any sort of desire to be in that role and they're only doing it for the respect and for the accolades. Yeah. Yeah. So, so okay. I know it sounds pretty 
pretty ridiculous, but if I, let's say, hey, I'm, I'm a PT, I love what I do, and I ended up going, I'm going towards this and giving up, well, not giving up, but putting aside, <laughs> same thing as giving up, <laughs> you know, a very technical field. So I'm from a very technical background, which could have resulted in a very, it was, was a very technical role, but I've decided that training and fitness and health is what I'm passionate about. And so I went towards that. And as a result, I mean, I would like to think that I'm a pretty decent trainer. Because it's what I enjoy. It's, hey, this podcast, it's the stuff that I research. But what sucks is the fact that I'll go, like I said, you know, the, the bad, um, bad instances that I had with my GP, who refused to give me certain blood checks or said I didn't need something or was, would be crapping on about my cholesterol levels, which weren't really elevated, and would completely ignore the fact that my liver enzymes were abnormally high. So, stupid shit. And it's sad because I find that a lot of these GPs, once again, you know, yeah, fair enough, they see 30 patients a day, whatever it is, but they didn't do it because they're interested in it. And if you're, if you're not interested, there's no way in hell you'll do any extra research in your spare time. You don't give a fuck about it. You'd rather, you know, go and get all the accolades from your family. So, yeah, I always think um, it's sad that way, but you find that other, you know, it's, it is controversial because now you're going, all right, I'm going down the holistic path, and I'm finding that naturopaths seem to have better functional practices that, yeah, some of it seems a little bit, you know, over the top, but then, you know what, a lot of it is focused on preventing issues. So let's say you have, you know, you're feeling tired all the time. Well, any doctor would prescribe you caffeine tablets or some stupid shit like that to deal with a symptom. Whereas you go to someone who's more functional, holistic, or even if you find a really, really good doctor who, you know, probably is unavailable because they're just so popular, they would look at, all right, why are you tired? Let's just go back down to it. What are you eating? You know, something like that. All right, well, are you eating a lot of little crappy foods that just don't work with your body that you're intolerant to? Well, how about we, we work on not taking everything away, but how about we work on increasing the beneficial things in your, in your lifestyle that will help to increase your energy? So it's, it's one of those things I always say to people, no matter what, get a second, third, fourth opinion if you have to you're not happy don't don't settle because honestly no one else gives a fuck about your health except for you in the end of the day you're the one who has to live with your health and if you're not optimal then you're not healthy it doesn't matter if you if you think you're you're doing all right if you're not at your peak that's not good enough any sign or symptom that is abnormal that's causing you discomfort or pain that's not normal get it checked out or find a way that you can improve your lifestyle and keep in mind you can't rely on a medical practitioner or any you know what you can't rely on anyone else you can't rely on a naturopath you can't rely on a, a nutritionist to give you the to um cure everything for you in the end you've got to take the initiative and just do you it. know just do it do the research do the put the legwork in <clears throat> so yeah i've been doing a lot of crapping on <laughs> <laughs> oh no what's what's your opinion on this what's your opinion on 
on the medical profession and yeah i mean you know my opinion and my bad experiences oh yeah um well i agree on doing your own research and and, and on doing a little bit of a trial and error to find out you know what works for you and how your body reacts to certain foods that's you know what i always do when i'm trying out something new um like even even with my training uh for a long period of time I did most of my training um, at night and now I have changed everything and I'm doing it in the morning, very, very early in the morning and the results that I've been getting, they have been different, uh, both positive, negative, but they have been different, which is good. I have been, you know, mixing it up. Now I feel that I have a lot of more energy to go throughout my day. I have uh, a lot of more, more appetite as well, I have more appetite, I have more energy when I'm getting my workouts in in the morning. So which do First you prefer personally? Personally, like, I don't prefer neither one of them. Like, like you know, I'm fine. Do you, <laughs> you don't want to train, you just want to be awesome. <laughs> I just want to be naturally awesome. But yeah, like, I'm fine with either one of them. I'm fine with either one of them. But, um, but yeah, experiment. The same way that you would experiment with a worker, experiment you with You haven't given food. me a result. <laughs> no, but like, what's better for you? Let's say, hey, hypothetically, if you didn't have to work, and or if you had flexible hours, and you could choose when you train, what would you do? Like, what's, what's ideal for your body? Just you, but not looking at anyone else, just you personally. Oh, personally, for myself, I would think probably in the morning. Yeah? Yeah. Right. In the morning, I would, I, you know, I would operate better. It just gets you through your day. Yeah. Have I told you why that is? It gets out of the way. Oh, there's different theories why that is, but yeah, I'm, I'm dying to hear yours. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Here goes well, another 15 minutes. I know, here we go. No, basically what happens is when you first wake up in the morning, you first wake up and your cortisol levels are high because it's just that, oh, I've woken up. And exercise increases your cortisol. Keep in mind, exercise is a form of stress, so it's going to raise your cortisol. Now, cortisol is what keeps you alert and awake because, you know, it's, it's flight, or, fight or flight. That's what we want. Now, what will happen is you work out first thing in the morning, your cortisol levels increase. It keeps you awake and alert for longer. So then later on at nighttime, naturally your cortisol levels will decrease. And as your cortisol levels decrease, your melatonin levels will increase and they'll make you sleepy and tired. And as a result, you have a full night's sleep. You'll, you'll rest when you need to rest. Now, if you, I think we did talk about this briefly in the last podcast. I can't remember anymore. But if you work out at night, what will happen is your cortisol levels get jacked up at what, 8 p.m., 9 p.m.? And you expect to go to sleep an hour later. It's, it's yeah. often very difficult. Yes, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And this is what I found with my clients. They'll, they'll have an early morning session with me and they'll be great. They'll be great all day at work. They'll be alert, awake. Some of them can even forego coffee. No big deal. But then I'll have a lot of people who will do my evening classes. And if they really push themselves in the evening, they find out that they're just they're too pumped. And they can't sleep for hours afterwards. So it's, you know, it's one of those things you need to work out personally what works for you. But there's, there's a quick explanation of why working out in the morning is, is best to, to keep, you, <laughs> keep you going all day. 
going to go. Need a bit of background, not too much science. I'm trying. Oh, I'm trying to stay away. From, I'm trying to stay away from the hard science. I know <laughs> it's it's interesting. I love hard science. I reckon it's interesting. You're looking at me like okay, <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully we've given you guys some interesting information. Please let us know what you want us to talk about because we've got we have so much random knowledge and of random health things. It's because we're interested in this stuff. That we're always afraid to put it out there, just in case you don't want to listen to the randomness. So yeah, if there's anything that you're curious about, uh, let us know. I think next time I'm gonna talk about hormones and how they affect your health and what you can do and how my own hormonal imbalance cause a few problems. Remind me, because I will forget. Um, and to our listeners, remind me, because I will forget. <laughs> <laughs> but for now, thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. And uh, we'll see you or talk to you or hear from you or talk at you next time. Yeah, and definitely just you know drop us a line on Facebook and don't forget to like us. Oh, yeah, give us – I think on iTunes you can give us a review – or some sort of thing like that. I haven't checked Don't it out. Don't be scared. Just give us yeah, a review. Yeah, if you can do it, if you can figure it out, if you're listening to us on iTunes, please give us a good review. We're still, we're still figuring things out. <laughs> All right, take care, everybody. Bye.